0: To the complete history of coffee, episode two. What even is coffee? Today, I am drinking Italian roast from Starbucks. I'm going to be pairing it with pancakes with syrup on them. I wanted to start off this podcast by introducing who I am and talking a little bit about myself and the podcast. My name is Iris Heffer. I worked as a barista at Starbucks for six years and at Pinion Coffee here in New Mexico. Well, at Starbucks, I studied in their advanced course on coffee and obtained a certification as a coffee master, and later became the coffee academy instructor for my district. During the time, I obtained bachelor degrees in history and theater. I work as a music teacher. I'm also in the band Seven Days Rest. I'm an actor and director, as well as a podcaster on the Garden Shed podcast. Going into the coffee pairing, and for those of us who don't know what a coffee pairing is... A coffee pairing is when you try coffee with another food item, be it a drink or in this case pancakes. So, I'm going to be trying this Italian Roast. First, I'm going to smell it. So right off the bat, it smells very sweet, very roasty, and that is the flavor description that they have on the bag when you look at it. If we go a little further into it, let's see. It's almost a little nutty. Um, this. Coffee's from Latin America, and for those of you who don't know, Latin America is really known for being chocolatey and nutty with this coffee, so the next step is going to be slurping it to get a really full taste on your taste buds. So it's a little bit roasty. This is a dark roast, so I'm getting some of those deeper, bolder kind of notes. I made this in a French press, so that's also going to affect the coffee pairing. So in this case, I'm noticing it's a very full flavor. It's not really bitter, but there's a little bit of a bitterness to it, almost a light acidity. The difference between the two is acidity is more of the taste that's left over on your tongue after you taste the coffee, whereas bitter is more of that initial kick that you get. Trying it with the pancake, it's not the best pairing I've ever had with it. I would definitely recommend pairing it with caramel for someone if you guys wanted to try this with a pairing i think the caramel has a better chance of bringing out some of those aspects of the sweetness in the coffee i feel like the pancake kind of cancels out the sweetness a little bit it does bring out a little bit of the sweetness but it kind of affects the rosy bitterness of the coffee i certainly would recommend trying it with something caramely The plan for this project is to create a mini series on coffee culture and history from its origins to where it is today. As a note, we are beginning to enter the period of coffee history which will be heavily dominated by its place in the Islamic world. I will do my best to ensure proper pronunciation, but as historical accuracy is the main focus and I'm not a linguist, please forgive any potential mispronunciation. To start, let's consider what coffee is from the genus of shrub, or small tree called Coffea. The coffee plant grows a fruit-like seed called a coffee bean, which contains a high amount of caffeine as a natural form of pesticide. The two primary forms of coffee are Arabica and Robusta. Most coffee grown in the world is the former, but Robusta is often used as a cheaper substitute Arabica or Arabica only grows at high elevations in the coffee belt and, like wine, does best when under extreme stress to help create a more complex flavor. Let us continue tracing coffee's path through history by taking a look at another legend. In this story, a priest in Yemen is banished for improper conduct towards the princess. He survives on a drink made from beans found on a plant with white flowers. The priest eventually brings beans with him to Mecca, where he uses it to cure people experiencing an epidemic of the itch. It's not explicitly stated that we were talking about coffee in this story, yet most give coffee credit as being the magical elixir which cured the so-called epidemic. In a different myth from the 13th century, a Moroccan Sufi mystic Gothol Akbar Nuruddin Abdul al-Hazan al-Shatali, or Mr. Akbar, as we'll call him for short, because there's no way I'm going to be able to say that again, claims the first discovery of coffee. Mr. Akbar says he witnessed birds flying rather energetically after eating coffee beans, and much like Kaldi, he decided to try some of these beans, which fell from the birds, hopefully not in the form of bird poop coffee. However, on a side note, the most expensive coffee in the world comes from the digestive tract of the Kopi Luwak, nicknamed Cat Poop Coffee. It typically sells for around $35 to $100 a cup. Now, in a myth linked to the bird poop coffee, there was a man named Haji Omar, who was a disciple of our Sufi mystic Mr. Akbar omar was exiled from mocha by his enemies and was expected to perish in the hot desert he instead discovered a plant growing berries which he consumed for nourishment apparently no one warned him to never eat bitter tasting berries because instead of listening to the old saying when in doubt throw it the out he then tried to get rid of the bitter taste of the fruit by roasting it for listeners out there don't try this at home quite literally bitter tasting berries is generally a sign of poison, and our natural aversion to the taste of bitterness is an evolutionary trait which warns us of such poison present in the wild. Now, roasting helped reduce the bitter taste of the coffee, which made it hard to eat, and so he soaked the beans in water, hoping to soften it, This was ineffective, however, and he instead tried the brown brew which he had created, realizing it gave him energy and revitalized him. Upon his return to Mocha, people were surprised to see he had survived, and after trying the brown brew which he had created, he was made a saint. In a Quranic version of coffee's origin, we see Archangel Gabriel present himself with coffee and the Quran in hand to the Prophet Muhammad a gift which he brought with him due to Muhammad's suffering of narcolepsy. It is unclear how coffee relates to the Quran, possibly because it put Muhammad to sleep. I certainly mean no disrespect to the Quran or Islam. In fact, our story will remain closely related to the practice of Islam in the medieval Islamic world as we will see many Sufi monks growing a love for coffee as it helps them to stay awake during their long prayers. In a final version of coffee's origin by Katip Celebi in the mid-17th century, sheiks living in the Yemeni's mountains crushed berries known as Kwabu Kwabun and roasted them to make a drink. He believed the drink entered Asia Minor by sea around 1543. While we know today for modern archaeology, Ethiopia was the birthplace of coffee for many centuries, Yemen was argued to be the origin place of coffee. This was largely due to Yemen's place in coffee production during the Middle Ages as the largest coffee producer in the world for several centuries. As a result, many people forgot the true origin of coffee in Ethiopia, and those in Yemen who did know the truth often focused on a version of the story which made Yemen the origin of coffee. As a result, many people forgot the true origin of coffee in Ethiopia, and those in Yemen who did know the truth often focused on a version of the story which made Yemen the origin of coffee, as a way of affirming Yemen's position as the primary coffee grower in the world. These propagandized versions of events were also used as a way of linking coffee with the Quran, such as the legend of Archangel Gabriel Muhammad, and as we will see next episode, a legend by a man named Al-Ghazi who uses Archangel Gabriel as the bringer of coffee again, but this time involving King Solomon. While Caldi's story largely prevails in the modern world, we know it to be inaccurate from its placement in history. However, the story itself offers a likely scenario to coffee's first consumption by animal herders in Ethiopia. Before we continue into the history section of this podcast, I want to take a second and distinguish the difference between mythology or legend and history. Oftentimes, they are linked together, especially in the earlier periods of history. Yet they are distinguishable by understanding history as a form of science in which we take the written record and compare that with areas of study such as archaeology, anthropology, sociology, geology, and other such fields. Now, this leads us into an area of history known as historiography, or as we can call it, the history of history. Um, Basically, my job as a historian is to research primary and secondary sources on coffee as well as examining relevant areas of scientific research to construct a version of historical events for you all. My version of events will be slightly different than someone else's, and more importantly, my inherent bias and opinions will be present even as I do my best to prevent my opinions and biases from entering my historical work. But with that said, people's personal perspective and touch is what makes their work unique. So the important thing to keep in mind is to not take one person's word for it. Don't assume one version of history is the only version there is. Now mythology or legend is often something at the core of a society which helps it to explain phenomena or naturally occurring things within the world around them. Maybe it's explaining how the world was created or why things are the way that they are. Getting back to our story, we see Pliny the Elder writing in the first century describing something out of Ethiopia which resembles coffee. In book 12 of his Natural History, Pliny talks about the Ethiopian which has a black oily nut and a slender kernel, but the liquid inside has a strong scent. This sounds like it may refer to coffee, however, some question his next statement, Quote, Perfumers extract the juice from the shells, end quote. The issue here is the lack of evidence of coffee being used for perfumes. Pliny then continues, quote, Medical men also crush the kernels, gradually pouring warm water on them while pounding them, end quote. This last statement does refer to a process which at least is similar to coffee production, in which people would break up coffee and pour hot water on it to brew it. We cannot know for certain why Pliny was referring to this in his description, but if he was writing about coffee, it would make him the first author to reference history that we know of. We also see in Marco Polo's book, The Travelers, a mention of a hot dark brew which was extracted from a bean, although much of this account was surrounded by fictitious accounts, drawing the account's validity into question. What is more important than these two potential yet vague accounts is coffee's overall lack of mention by anyone in the ancient world. We don't see any definitive mention of coffee by the Egyptians in North Africa or the Greco-Romans in the larger Mediterranean world. This may seem unimportant, yet this inherent lack in the historical record suggests coffee did not leave the region of Ethiopia and Yemen until its later spread within the Islamic world. However, research in the past century suggests the Egyptians had access to THC and possibly even cocaine and tobacco, but there's no mention of these products in the Egyptian historical record. We do know coffee was first discovered by the Oromo people, a tribe from the region of Sadamo, Kaffa, and Jema, located in modern-day Ethiopia and parts of Kenya and Somalia. Current evidence shows the first domesticated coffee plant was in Harar, Ethiopia. The Maros would boil the coffee cherry in water for about 15 minutes, creating an infusion known as buno, or in Arabic, kashir. Initially, though, coffee plants were not grown for their husk, but were instead scavenged for in the wild. The Amaros believed coffee grew from the grave of a famous deceased sorcerer after God, or Waka cried over the corpse and his tears created the first coffee tree. As a result, they were known to have planted coffee trees on the graves of powerful sorcerers. At around the 10th century, coffee traders brought coffee into Yemen through the port of Mocha across the Red Sea. The plant then began to be cultivated and boiled to create what they called kawa, which translates to that which prevents sleep. Some assume kawa is the origin of the word coffee, although the area of coffee's discovery in kaffa is also a potential origin of the word. By the 13th century, coffee began to travel with the spread of Islam. For many Muslims, coffee was made into a sort of bean broth, which was believed to ward off evil. In the Arabian Peninsula, around what is today Yemen, there was a group of mystic Muslims known as the Sufi. The Sufis held night-long rituals in which they originally drank an infusion known as kafta, which acted as an hallucinogen. But this was replaced by the 15th century with kawa, or coffee, which becomes, for devotional purposes, Our best account places the change to a man known as Muhammad Aldabadi, who traveled to Ethiopia and discovered Kishir, a drink made of coffee husk and ginger. He found this drink had the ability to help a person feel more energized. As a result, he recommended the use of kawa in the event of a shortage of kat, a plant from Ethiopia which is known to act as a stimulant. The change to coffee would benefit the tired and fatigued Sufi And as a result, it was the Sufi Muslims who likely helped the spread of coffee throughout the Mediterranean, North Africa, and east into Asia. As coffee consumption grew in popularity, it became known as the wine of Araby. However, Islamic coffee traders only sold boiled coffee beans as to prevent people from growing their own beans. And as a result, coffee was not grown outside of the Middle East until a pilgrim to Mecca in the 1600s was able to smuggle some out. During this time in the Islamic world, coffee making had also changed, with a shift away from using the coffee husk to using just the coffee bean. This new process involved roasting the beans in a pan, then cooling them, followed by crushing it up and mixing it with spices. The next step was boiling the mix in water to create a light brown liquid. In the next section of the historical record, like that of our legendary accounts, there are some different versions of events. These varying accounts in the historical record can be common in pre-modern history, as historical writing was not yet a science as it is today. We do know coffee eventually reached Cairo under the control of the Mamluk Sultanate by the 14th century, where Yemeni students at the Al Azhar Islamic University began brewing it. It was on June 20th, 1511, the governor of Mecca, Kair Big dispersed a group of men who were gathered around a mosque late at night drinking kawa, Sufi as can be assumed from the account. The following day, the governor then requested the leading Olma, the city's religious scholars, to ban the use of kawa because of its promotion of intoxication. In a second account, the governor of Mecca, was convinced by two Persian physicians to ban coffee due to the apparent vile aspects in the drink, and even went as far as to help assemble the religious council. The council first determined the meetings in which coffee drinking occurred should be prohibited, or in other words, be like the government today deciding to shut down every coffee shop. However, the council was torn on whether or not coffee itself should be banned they believed the drink itself was created by God to be consumed and should be left legal unless it could be proven to be harmful, which bears interesting parallel to our modern society in regards to government policies on the use of cannabis. In response, the governor brought in two physicians, and if we go off of the second version of the account, these would be the two Persian physicians, who attested to coffee's vile contents. The decision was sent to Cairo, where it was disputed by religious authorities who rejected the proposed ban on coffee, but retained the ban of Sufi meetings involving coffee. It is possible the governor wished to prevent taverns from serving people alcohol who claimed to only serve coffee, but it had the effect of giving coffee a legitimate place in the Islamic society, with coffee houses now acting as secular locations for Muslim men to meet and interact with one another. The governor of Mecca was not the first to question coffee's legitimacy, as it had been questioned in Islamic countries for some time prior. The decision brought coffee into Arab society and transformed it from a Sufi religious drink into a common man's drink. In a third version of events, the governor of Mecca discovered satirical verses being written about him from people in coffee houses, and so, like wine, he determined coffee must be outlawed by the Quran. Other Arab leaders also denounced coffee, such as Grand Vizier Capruli of Constantinople, who closed all of the city's coffee houses for fear of sedition during a war. If someone was caught drinking coffee after this, they were beat with a cudgel, and second offenders were. Tied in a bag and thrown in the Bosphorus. Over time, coffee continued to be drink in secret, and so the ban was eventually lifted. Coffee houses became a place of intellectualism, entertainment, poetry, and a place at the core of social interactions. It was so important to society through the Ottoman Empire that women could sue their husbands if they were not provided with an adequate amount of coffee. Keep in mind this political distaste for coffee, as we will see the idiom of history is doomed to repeat itself to be no less relevant in regards to coffee. Likewise, it will also be the continuation of coffeehouse culture's relation to intellectual discussion, which will be one of the main concerns for governments. In the historical record, we see a trend in coffee as an anti-political and anti-religious drink. First we see it by the governor of Mecca in 1511, shut down coffee houses for fear it would allow men to gather together and discuss the dislike of him. Like alcohol, coffee would face several prohibitions. In the mid-17th century, coffee was banned in Constantinople by Murad IV along with alcohol and tobacco. He even went as far as visiting taverns at night in disguise and executing people who broke his prohibitions. Yet, he himself did die of liver cirrhosis from alcohol consumption. In the 17th century, coffee was banned in the Ottoman Empire because it became viewed as a politically rebellious activity. Yet, another ban would come from England in 1675 by King Charles II for the same reasonings as the Ottomans. Coffee would even become banned in its own country of origin, Ethiopia by the Orthodox Ethiopian church sometime before the 18th century because they believed it was cursed in the eyes of God. While we do not know the exact date, we do know there was attempts to ban coffee by members of the Catholic church in the 16th century, labeling it satanic. Luckily, the Pope at the time, Pope Clement VIII, tried it and prevented the ban. Similarly, the Ethiopian church removed its ban on coffee in 1889 when Emperor Menelik began drinking coffee. Since then, coffee has grown to become the national drink of Ethiopia. To see how coffee became the devil's drink and why so many rulers consider it to be a threat to the rule, we'll have to trace coffee's story throughout this series. Please consider donating to this podcast series on Patreon at the Complete History Podcast Series to keep this series going while also receiving members-only content and special rewards. We also welcome you to join our community on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the Complete History Podcast Series. If you would like to contact us, feel free to message us through there, or at our email at thecompletehistorypod at gmail.com. This episode, we will be randomly giving away a special edition pound of Ethiopian coffee with the image of our favorite goat herder, Kaldi, on it. To one of our Patreon subscribers. If you would like a chance to win this pound of coffee, then please consider subscribing for this and future prizes. I want to close with a quote from Cassandra Clare, as long as there was coffee in the world, how bad could things be? Thank you for listening. Stay tuned next episode for more on coffee history.